Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 1. And This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters. May have sons and daughters. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers and diviners among you deceive you, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Amen. Good morning, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square, and welcome to the fall. We're glad that you could be here with us. We are a church that's centered on joy. That means that we're here to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. I hope if you're new here, I hope that you stick around long enough to figure out with us what that looks like. But I also hope that no matter what you believe— We will live out joy here. And to do that, we're going to start a new series as of today, looking at what is our Redeemer LSQ DNA. And we're doing that because we have to understand why we are here right now, why we exist, and based on our surveys, at least half of you are new to our church in the past two years. And if you've been here for longer— The truth is we've never done a series looking at the essence, looking at the uh, DNA of what makes us who we are. And that is why we have bought companion books even for everybody in our community groups, our CGs, so that everybody can follow along to figure out together collectively, no matter what you believe, what we're coming from. We can't go out unless we know what it looks like. What does it mean to be in, to be here? And so today, what we're going to start with is to talk about, before we talk about who we are, we have to talk about where we're going to be who we are. The location. And we're going to ask three things from it. We're going to look at what is the plan. We're going to look at how we can follow that plan. And we're going to look at why we can now... 
Uh, all that plan. Live it out. All right, so first, the plan. A couple weeks ago, for those of you who weren't here, right before I was going to church to, to come on a Sunday, I was waiter. And I was like, yeah. And, and came here anyway, just like that. My wife is written because Jeremiah, who had been living in Israel, they've been living in Jerusalem, but they've been captured by the Babylonian people. King Nebuchadnezzar has taken them now to Babylon. This is around 586 B.C. And they have been brought here. And Jeremiah is here to speak truth in our... ...that are part of the plan that we need to look at. Number this is This is the text, the letter of the prophet Jeremiah... who have been exiled. They've been carried in. The word exile is a deep word in Hebrew, and it shows up more in the book of Jeremiah than any other book of the Bible. But we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be exiled? It means a couple of things. One, to be exiled at the very least means the location that you're in, the place where you are, people do not agree with you. At some level, the people where you are around hold different views from you, and they don't just hold different views— they will not actually agree with you about this, then I'm right. So there you go. I win anyway. <laughs> Disagreement is part of being in exile. Number two, though, exile. Number two, though, also to be in exile means having a lack of power and control. Peter Drucker, famous uh, Austrian uh, uh, economist, tells a story about coming to America in the 1940s, and he was trying to buy a house. And when he shows up to buy a house, he, he applies for a loan from a bank, and he's filling out the application, and one of the lines on the application says, please list a reference of a priest or a rabbi or a, a minister. He didn't have one coming from Europe in the 1940s. And so he calls up the bank and says, hey, um, <laughs> what's going on in, in this, this line on this application? And the bank says, well, if we're going to loan you money, we're going to have, we have to trust you, and if you're not religious, we don't trust you, because this is America in the 1940s. So he felt exiled in that moment because the institutions at the time, the powers that be, had written the law codes, had written the, the, uh, the structures about how to participate in society. Now, those structures are different today, but at some level, being part of, of an exiled space means you're looked at suspiciously, like Peter Drucker back then. The powers, the institutions like media or commerce or, uh, you know, schools or, or just culture in general have different law codes. They have different ways of, of, inter, of being, and being exiled is to live in that space. So today, to be exiled is like that. Lastly, to be exiled means to live differently than how the majority lives, right? The majority says, here's what the, is true. Here's what's beautiful. Here's what um, is good. To be exiled is to actually not, all, own, not actually holding those same views. 
So let's back up for a second. Here's what it looks to be exiled. At some level, it means where you live and the structures you live in and the stories and narratives that you live around are not fully yours. And it's important to realize, if that's true, for people who live in New York, and I think I can argue people in this room, but in general in New York, that, is, that means we are living right now exiled lives. And Jeremiah is here to tell this truth to these people then, but it's also the same for us today. First truth that we're exiled. Now. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Number two. The second hard truth is that part of the plan is found in verse 4. That, look at this, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Now, wait a second. Verse 1 says, It was Nebuchadnezzar had carried them into exile. Okay, so what's, which is it? Has the, has the writer kind of forgotten already in a couple of verses who actually carried who? Was it Nebuchadnezzar or was it God? who carried these people into exile? And the answer is yes. It's both. And this is a hard truth, that to be in exile, somehow God can use bad faith actors and characters to do his will. God can use something bad for good. And what that means then is, and this is, this is why I want us to sit in this for a second, think about where you are. Think about what's happened to your life. Think about your hard circumstances, your body, your life, the relationships. Think about the marriage or the non-marriage that you're in right now. And God, based on this text, has carried you into that place at some level. And if things are not the way they should be, and they're not, God is saying in this text to us, I've carried you there. And if that's true, that means there has to be some purpose, some point for what's going on in your life right now, for what's actually happening. And if you don't see this, if you're not daily, regularly reminding yourself of this particular truth, you're going to miss the plan. Because the truth is this, I didn't ask for my dad to have cancer. You didn't ask to lose your job. You didn't ask to lose that relationship. You didn't ask for what's happening in your life. But if everything is random in the world, then nothing actually matters. But if God did it, if he carried you, then I don't necessarily know why, but there is a plan and there is a point and there is a purpose for what is going on right now. And so this is what I want us to ask. Ask yourself this question right now. Why are you in New York? Why are you in New York City right now? And whatever the answer is, please don't say, I'm here because I got a job. Or I'm here because, well, I just kind of grew up here and I'm a native and it's comfortable, so I'm still here. Don't, please, please don't say, well, I'm just here for a few years to get what I can, and then I'm going to get out. Because that's not asking the deeper question. The deeper question is, why has God brought you here right now for this moment? If the hand of God is behind human actions, actions, then that means there's a bigger reason to be here than just to have a comfortable life. 
to make some money and then get out. That is not what it means to be the church. It's not what we're going to be able to be to, to figure out the essence of for your life right now. You first have to accept that he's carried you to this moment. And that sounds simple, doesn't it? You're like, duh. But it's actually really deep. Because, put it this way, I don't know what you've suffered. I don't know your story. I don't know what kind of deserts that you've been through to get to this place, what kind of wildernesses that you had to survive in your life, what kind of abuses that you've had to put up in your life that have formed you and made you who you are. But whatever that is, God has brought you here for such a time as this. He has. And if that's true, then we can't be Redeemer Lincoln Square. We can't be us until we acknowledge this first, that you are actually part of something bigger than yourself. And if you refuse to do that, not only are you not listening to God's truth that's being said to us right now, you're going to be tossed to and fro by the cares and concerns and circumstances of life. That there is a plan, number one. Now, number two, how can we follow that plan? Right? How do we actually follow it? Well, Jeremiah, go back to our text. Jeremiah, he's talking to people in exile, and this is what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase, do not decrease. Now, he has to say this because he knows the strategy for the Babylonians. That ancient civilizations, when you conquered a people, you always took some of the remnant, the skilled workers, and you brought them back into your civilization, A, to absorb their technology and all their abilities, but also so that they decrease. It's a form of, it was a form of genocide. And the goal was that for the Israelites, at the end of the day, to assimilate to the dominant culture that was now all around them. And so maybe the first generation, right? The first generation might have known, hey, no, we're Israelites, we're a distinct people. But what the hope is, is that the second generation, the third generation, the kids and the kids' kids, as they, as they grow up in Babylon, and as they live in this culture, and they sort of absorbing the values and the narratives and the stories of what's good and true and beautiful, they will lose their distinctiveness. That's called assimilation. To lose one's faith, to lose one's identity to the surrounding culture. Ironically, to hold on to the faith and the stories of the surrounding culture. Uh, back in 2016, there was this um, Christian satire uh, website that had this, uh, they, they had this um, title for an article that I clicked on. This is the title. I have, to, I have to read it to you. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, so going to church once a quarter, four times a year, Parents shocked that child does not hold their faith. It's actually—it's it's sarcasm, it's satire. But then if you clicked on the link, it would talk about, you know, they—you know, it's, it's fake story, so it's interviewing the parents. I just don't know what happened. Like, other things during the day just got in the way, and we just never really made it out to church. But I don't know why they don't believe what we believe. Not realizing, actually, you've absorbed the culture's assumptions— You've assimilated, and of course, your child is assimilating too. That's assimilation. Now, but secondly, look at verse 5 now. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Now, why would you need to tell exiled people to build and to plant? These are vivid, these are vivid imagery. This is vivid imagery, right? Building and planting gardens. You only do that if you're going to stay a while, right? Take, building a, a, a house takes time. 
Planting a garden takes, for full maturation takes years. And so the tendency must have been for the people to say, hey, is this, I'm in exile, right? So I'm not sticking around here. I'm not going to put my life here. I'm not going to, to put down roots here. I'm not going to care about this place. I'm not going to become a church member. I'm not going to get involved with people. And so what happens is, is Jer- Jeremiah says, no, build, stick around, stay. Seminary professor uh, Tremper Longman, in his analysis of how exiled people feel when they're taken away, he says this. He says, exiled people tend to think that the only option to not assimilate is to, to separate, to keep your identity, to withdraw. The most extreme example that I know of this is the Amish people uh, who live around Lancaster, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And what they did was is to say, hey, to be a distinct people, to keep our identity, we're not going to go along with what the rest of culture does when it comes to electricity, buttons, modern technology. And so if you go there, you'll see people in horses and in carriages and, and living a way that is distinct. Now, that's, a, that's an extreme example, but there are many ways for for us to live separately, where we withdraw, where we stay clean, we stay pure, where we don't get involved in culture, where we we stay out, where we refuse to participate. And so what's so powerful, I think, in this text is this is God coming in and saying, no, I do not want you to do either one of these things. If assimilation is come into the city, lose your identity, eat, drink, and be merry— and separation is stay outside, don't engage. Or, by the way, you can still separate by coming in for a little while, a couple years, but then get out and not care about it. I think I would actually argue that there's many people in this town right now, they will, probably wouldn't identify themselves as separatists. But if you come to the city just to take, if you come to get what you can and then leave for a more comfortable life, to go somewhere else, or even if you grew up in this town, but you stay because you can be unintentional and just stick in your own space to stay within your own self, that's still a life of separatism. And I would argue that if you are here to lose yourself, if you come to church every once in a while, but then, you know, it kind of gets in the way of what you really want in life, you're assimilating. And I would argue that either separating or assimilating is not what God wants his people to do. The dominant culture always wants to absorb you, but the separatists always want you to stay outside and stay reactive and stay uh, combative. And both are wrong. And I see this everywhere now in our culture, not just in New York City, in, in all of American politics, in all of our cultural politics. Politically, you'll see people say, just absorb, absorb, stay in, or stay out, condemn, Uh, stay away, both politically and culturally. And God is saying that is not the paradigm. I want my people to live out here. By the way, some of you, as you're you're analyzing yourself and you're saying, well, do I separate? Do I assimilate? And you say, well, no, I don't really do either. I'm just kind of procrastinating. (laughs) I don't know what I think right now. Guess what? Jeremiah has a a word for you too. Look at verse 7. It says, pray to the Lord for it. This is what I know about prayer. Prayer, when you pray, you cannot procrastinate. If your heart goes out towards someone or something, you do not stay disengaged. So here's my challenge to you. Pray for this city 
every day this year. Pray for the people of this town, and I promise you, your heart will go out. It's a lot easier just to assimilate, go with the flow. It's a lot easier to separate, <laughs> be anti whatever the flow is. It's a lot harder to come in here and pray for and stay and build and plant, increase, not to decrease, without assimilating. Let me try to give you an example of this. This town, New York City, is known for production of, of uh, you know, with banks and wealth. And there are people who say that making money is all bad, right? There's the Occupy Wall Street. There's the, let's, let's, let's down with the capitalists. But then there are also other people who say, no, 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 capitalism is good. You know, modern economics is good. But Christianity comes in and says, wait a second, if all things are good in Genesis 1, but all things are fallen in Genesis 3, that means we're not going to stay outside of the business world and separate. But we're also not going to just assimilate to the cultural values and assume that our shareholders are, are the bottom line. We're not going to assume that profits are the bottom line. No, it's people. It always has been. It's human flourishing. And to hold those two things together is really, really hard. Because a life that neither separates or, or assimilates, a life that prays for the city, look at verse 7 again. It's not just pray. It says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city and pray for it. And that word peace, it's unfortunate that the word peace in, in, our, in modern dialects, in English dialect, it's, it has kind of like a hippie vibe, like peace, love, what's up? But the word peace in Hebrew is the, is the word shalom. It's this idea of wholeness and togetherness and, and um, harmony and restoration. Completely. It's, it's infinitely deep. And this is, unfortunately, even at Redeemer, we can pass way too fast over this. Because... This is what's so unique. This is so amazing. God is asking his followers, who, by the way, ding, 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 they're being oppressed. They're, they are exiled people. And you know what he says to them? He says, I want you to pray for and have shalom for and bring wholeness to the very people who are oppressing you and hurting you, your enemies. In other words, he's saying, hey, all those people over there who are trying to make you assimilate, who are trying to hurt you and harm you, yeah, stick around. I want you to make their city better. I want you to fix it and, and, and love it and pray for it. The social media world that I'm in, that I know you're into, the real world does not do that. You pray against your enemies, not for your enemies. And yet that's what's so utterly different here. God is different than religion and culture. Religion says this, stay away, stay away. Culture says, give yourself in. Take our view of happiness. Take our view of sexual ethics. Take our view of what's good and true and beautiful. And God shows up here and says, no. Neither one of those things is what I want for you. And if we're going to be the church, and if you're going to be who you were designed to be, don't you dare do either one. Do not stay out, but do not fall in. And so before we move on, here's my question to you all. As far as your identity, do you see yourself as shalom-seeking exiles? Is that a, a normal line of thought in your head? Not just as male, female, not just as, as worker or son or daughter, not just as, you know, race, class, creed. I'm asking you, do you see yourself as a shalom-seeking exile? That's not just here for your work. That's not just here for your family. 
but is here for something bigger and better. Have you connected your, your narrative to the grander narrative of what God's doing? And I'm not saying this—I've this, this, <laughs> grown up in this town. I'm not saying this, this place is all great. There's a lot of problems here. But the question is, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? Because I believe you can't follow the plan. See, God has a plan of shalom, of healing, and restoration. You can't follow the plan if you assimilate or separate. You have to have a vision that goes beyond yourself. So last point. Why can we live out this plan? Or a better way to put it is this. Uh, what's going to give us the fortitude? What's going to give us the care? Because you know what? You can sit here and you can be kind of passive and go, thanks, Mike, that was nice. But what's going to be the thing that allows us to do this? New Testament scholar Tom Wright points out in one of his books, he says this, he says, you know, the, the Israelites here did leave Babylon. They were given safe passage to go back to Jerusalem. And you know what they did? They said, let's go back to the way things used to be. Let's build that temple. Let's, let's, uh, let's create the space where God's presence will be with us again. You know what happened? They built that temple, and yet even though they were home, they were never really home because God's presence never came back. They were no longer exiled, but they were still in exile because the real exile goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That when Adam and Eve decided to turn away from God, the presence of God left. And ever since then, human life has been broken. We've been on exile. And I think, we, I think you guys get this. You know what it's like to feel exiled in your own bodies. Our bodies are breaking down slowly and quickly. We know what it feels like to be exiled in our own communities, never fully accepted, never fully known. See, we're desperate to be fully accepted and fully known, but we're afraid if we were fully known, we won't ever be fully accepted. And so here we are, exiled from our, our, our bodies, exiled from our communities, we're exiled from even our own mind. We're restless, striving, looking, and I promise you there's no amount of, of material, there's no amount of, of money, there's no amount of stuff, uh, comfort, power, approval. I challenge you, come up to me and tell me what the secret of life will be that will actually keep us from being e feeling exiled, and it's not out there. But this is where Christianity comes in and has something to offer. See, if you fast forward uh, through the rest of the Bible, you get down to the New Testament, what you find there, what do we find? You find someone who we know who has been exiled. We know somebody who left his home to seek shalom for a city that did not love him. We know of somebody who lived and died for a world that banished him, where he was carried off into death. And we know this. We know he didn't assimilate, right? He did not give in to the temptations that were thrown at him. He didn't separate. He didn't let the cup of wrath pass from him. He stayed. And because he stayed and gets the, uh, what we deserve, he was exiled. Heaven is a world of love. Heaven is a world of shalom. And he did not have to leave it, but he came because there's something about you and me that, that he said was worth it. And he entered into our sadness, into our hurt, all the many exiles that we are in right now, if we just will acknowledge it, and he did something about it. True story. I just heard the story this summer. A fellow pastor, a friend, he, was, he went to sleep, went to bed. In the middle of the night, he woke up and his house was on fire. And he smelled smoke, and he smelled burning, and you know what he did? He ran out of that house, and everybody was safe, but he then was standing outside his house watching his home slowly burn. 
And you know what he did? He paced back and forth. He talked to some people. He called some people. 30 minutes passes, and then somebody came up to him with a pair of shorts and kind of coughed and went like this. <coughs> Here. And he looked down, and he realized he was completely naked. <laughs> because this person slept naked, and he didn't realize through everything that was going on that he wasn't wearing any clothes. Why? Because what had taken up so much brain power, so much space in his head, was about getting out of the house to be safe. What is that? We should never underestimate the expulsive power of a new affection. We should never underestimate what it's like when we're so focused, like this person was so focused on the burning house, nothing else mattered than to get out and to live. In that same way, if your identity is in Christ, if you allow what he really did, if he really did it, and it was applied to you, and you own it and hold on to it, and your imagination is captured by this love, and that becomes the core of who you are, you know what happens? It will push out all the other affections. It will push out all the other things, and everything will be changed through this view. Because guess what? Guess what you're going to do? If you have this, what are you going to do to a city that doesn't love you, that doesn't care for you? You know what you're going to do? You're not going to assimilate because <laughs> they can't give you what he can, full acceptance and full love, despite our failures and flaws. But you're also not going to separate. You're not going to run away. He didn't run away from you, so you're not going to run away from them. And therefore, what you find here is the power that's in you right now, that despite your flaws, you're loved, you can now move out despite the flaws of this city, despite the flaws of the people around you in this church, you can stay. And because why? Because the supernatural power of Jesus is more powerful than a, than a burning house. It's, it's more motivating than all the fires of this world in your life to know that you're fully accepted in Jesus. That allows you to give acceptance to others in a way that is, that is powerful and real and true, that goes beyond your natural abilities. And the power to stay in this town, in the city, not just to use it, not just to kind of get what you can and then get out, but to actually care for it, happens to the degree that you see that he stayed in your life, that he cared for your life, then will you care for other people. And the more you sense your need and lostness, friends, the more you realize, I can't do this, the more you realize that you're seeking the wrong things, but you're still fixed and redeemed and loved and accepted, the more, A, you won't be surprised by the brokenness of the world, because if the world's broken, if the city's broken, you look at your own life, you're like, of course it is. Look at my life. At the same time, though, you will be moved to do something about it. And only knowing this, only knowing that one day you will be in a true city, in a real city, will you be able to live in and stay in the broken cities of this world and not look to get away? Jesus' hands weren't just open to you, they were nailed open to you, but if you let that be the core of who you are, your hands can be open to the world despite the nails that are thrown at you. And the question is, are we ready? This is the first place we have to start. Because guess what? We, as Redeemer Lincoln Square, and you individually cannot go out we cannot even know what we're, what, why we're here unless we see that we're part of a larger narrative and plan and we don't assimilate or separate, but we remind each other of his love in this space so that we can go out and love others in joy. And so are you ready for that? 
if you are start today, join a community group, get involved, be part of something, see yourself a part of it. That's what we have. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the fall. Thank you for new beginnings. Thank you for we get to restart. Thank you for giving us that option that we're, we're not stuck in our ways. We can actually say, I might have lived this way, but I don't want to anymore. Father, or we have tried. Maybe we have tried to put ourselves out there. There are many of us in this, in, this, <laughs> in this town, in this church, we've tried and we're tired. We're tired of trying again. People are hard. It's hard. But Father, I pray that we would absorb deeply the fact that though we're exiled, you know exactly where we're at because you've been exiled yourself. You've been there. You've done that. And you stayed. You build and you planted. And so we can too. We can seek the peace and prosperity. It's hard. It's difficult. We'll, we're we're going to lose in the process. But the gain, the wins, Father, is not just you. It's, it's, it's the relationships. It's the, it's the power that we will be able to have to stay and know who we really are, fully loved and fully accepted and fully known. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.